What the If is brought to you by listeners like you, thanks to our Patreon members, patreon.com slash whattheif. Go there now and find out how you can become a member and get all kinds of cool rewards. Thank you for supporting our mission for science education and science fun. Welcome to What the If. Rock'em Sock'em Robots Edition. We have humans in the studio. Gabby, welcome back. Well, it's really me. I'm the one who's back. I'm glad to be back in the studio where there are humans. At least one human I was going to say, though, nobody else has video. For all you know, you've you know you have enough hours of my voice to right. recreate That's true. this. There are enough transcripts of past episodes. I am sure you could fake my existence if you really chose. I get you know written off the show, and nobody knows for the next couple of seasons because yeah. they just sort of plop me back in. Well, for that matter, I can be I can fake myself as well. I don't have to show up. This is what's coming. This is what's coming. People are talking about being afraid to lose their jobs. But those who are maybe maybe would ha- be happy to enjoy- lose their job, just hand it over to somebody else. And actually, that's what's coming, is that you won't lose your job, or, or at least in the, in the time you've got before the robots come to take your job, you could, if you're savvy because you're a what-the-if listener, you could um, use the uh, AI robots to impersonate yourself and you don't have to go to work if your meetings are on zoom there's got to be somebody doing that i don't know i remember there were enough people when zoom was like originally first the thing because you can change your background to be like a live background yeah some people were setting their live background to a recording of themselves just sitting there looking like they were paying attention yeah and like you know maybe move lightly or something like that it was like maybe like a 30 minute long video that would then loop to make it seem like they were actually present in the class yeah that takes a yeah. lot of effort to just then not show that's up. True. That's true. That's true. That's true. That's where the teacher should appreciate that. Um, just like when I uh, wrote a computer program in um, my English, English class in high school, we were supposed to present a poem to the class and, you know, to, and then have studied how, the analysis of the poem and whatever and give the history of it, tell us tell about the life of the poet, whatever. And I just I loved the poet E. E. Cummings, and 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 computers had recently arrived in our school, the Apple III or thing, and um, I used it to write. I used the computer to write an E. E. poem, E. E. Cummings poem generator, and uh, hmm. I generated a fake poem that I then presented to the class as if it was real and didn't tell anybody about it, and I got an A. <laughs> Which meant I was not only presenting a fake poem, but I was presenting a fake critique of the poem. Um, but uh, then I, I loved this teacher. This was Mrs. Adler. And uh, I was like, you know, her assist, teacher's assistant or whatever. I would stay after class so I could, you know, clean the blackboard or whatever. And, and uh, um, she was very nice to me. And she, she had even bought me, a, she knew I liked the Beatles. And she, at one time she had bought me a book about the Beatles, you know. And, and so... I really loved Mrs. Adler. And then I did the stupid nerd thing of thinking she will be very proud of what I did. And I told her about having faith. She was not Big mistake. But pretty impressive, actually. Thank you. (laughs) Printed out on a dot matrix printer. Good times. 
Um, so this week, speaking of high technology, oh, let, I'll just say I, I've been away. I've been traveling. For, if, if you've been wondering, um, but if you've been keeping up, I've been doing uh, when when uh, either my fearless co-hosts are away or I am away. I've been doing um, kind of fun uh, having fantasy guests. So I had HAL 9000 uh, using ChatGPT and a voice synthesis program. I've been having uh, HAL 9000. I had HAL 9000 from 2001 on as a guest talking about AI. It's a pretty fun episode. Um, a couple weeks ago, I had Mr. Spock on. That was really fun. And uh, this most recent episode is with Ada Lovelace, the world's first uh, computer programmer, straight from the uh, 19th century. So check it out. Uh, but now, from the twenty, from the twenty third century, from the twenty first <laughs> century, Gabby Panicia, how are you? How have you been the past few weeks? Good. I I feel like generally my panicked state of existence has quieted. There's a lot of like grant stuff that had reared its head. I had finished that like application that you guys might have heard me talk about like a couple weeks back. <laughs> and so now like there's like this delightful like breath I got to take where I'm basically just back to like cloning, which is more or less just pushing bacteria around the lab. Cloning. Um, so it's a little bit less str- it's cloning. It sounds so impressive for what yeah. it actually is. And what it actually is, is really stinky. So <laughs> it's, yeah, don't think of anything glamorous whenever I say cloning. It's like a gallon of bacteria that I'm lysing and collecting DNA from and then cutting up the DNA in certain fun origami ways to just glue it back together and then stick it in more bacteria where they All right. smell. All right. <laughs> the joys of cloning. It's not all it's cracked up to be. Nah. Can you all imagine of those the clone wars? Vats. Right. What was what was the uh oh, I'm forgetting the name of the planet where the clones were manufactured. Um, maybe that's why it was this ocean planet that was kept away from everybody so far away because it was just this. It was stinky. The stinkiest planet, yeah. Um, I'll accept that. Yeah, I'll allow it. Isn't that's where Boba Fett was born? Or something like yep. that. Yeah. Yeah, it's poured out of a vat there. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. All right. So this week, speaking of biotech, um, we have uh, uh, an if. Lined up. Oh, first, by, by the way, let me uh, let, just before we jump in, I want to welcome our newest patron, uh, Dan Floyd. Dan Floyd, want to welcome you. Dan Floyd is the the world's newest super ifer. So everybody, uh, stand and cheer for Dan. Um, it's great to have you. Uh, Dan will be enjoying uh, some of his new benefits, uh, including um, extended episodes that only patrons get. You do not know what patron, patron, Patreon is. Um, find out more at uh, Patreon, P A T R E O N, patreon.com slash what the if. And uh, look at all the cool stuff that Dan is enjoying that you're not. Find out more about it. And thank you, Dan, by the way. Greatly appreciate your joining us. Um, and by the way, Dan sent in a couple of ifs, uh, which we will be doing in future weeks. Uh, when Matt is back as well, Dan sent in some great ideas. So um, this week, set the stage for us, Gabby. You um, you saw an article. There was an article in the New York Times, and then you, because you're a real scientist, went and read an article in Nature, I believe, about it. So tell us uh, tell us about this. Uh, set the stage for us. 
Yeah. Um, so I saw this article essentially in to point you to the original nature paper. If you're curious, uh, the paper is called walking naturally after spinal cord injury using a brain spine interface, which in typical scientific paper fashion is rather understated um, for what I think is, is a really impressive leap forward technologically. So essentially they made this brain spine interface, which was recording neurological signals from somebody who was paralyzed and they calibrated it when he was trying to move specific parts of his body. And so then using that calibration of what signals his brain was trying to send to his body, they were then able to figure out how to stimulate the rest of his nerves to actually create that. So I think I should point out that walking is a pretty hard thing. Mm, if yeah. you've seen any attempts to make robots that walk, Boston Dynamics, if you look at their ev evolution, their progression of making robots that walk, it mm. hasn't been easy and it's pretty hard. And even then, they don't really have this natural effortless gait that a person has. So it's it's a pretty difficult thing. It involves a lot of muscles related to balance, to moving forward, uh, to making sure that you're like coordinated and you're not just kind of like flailing everywhere. Yeah. And they were essentially able to restore somebody's ability to walk normally, I think with just the aid of a walker. Um, but then overall, it's actually apparently helped this person continuously that even outside of just the direct application of this, it sort of helped him retrain his body to mm. walk more. Yeah. Apparently through more conventional methods, his sort of recovery had kind of plateaued, uh, but now he's moving around more normally. So I think that's really amazing technologically uh, because not only has it able, been able to restore somebody's ability to walk, um, but also has clear usage as sort of like an overall like therapeutic intervention that it might not be permanent, that it can be used to retrain somebody wow. to walk yeah. uh, on its own. It's just really cool. It's the That'd most be... sci-fi thing I've seen in like a month at least. Oh, I say yeah. only just like a month because it's science. Somebody rolls out something new sci-fi every month. That's true. That's true. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, here, I'll just read just a tiny little bit from um, New York Times article on it called uh, the headline in the Times was a paralyzed man can walk naturally again with brain and spine implants. Subheading, uh, in the new study, researchers describe a device that connects the intentions of a paralyzed patient to his physical movements. There's a picture um, of the man standing. And uh, th this article was by Oliver Wang um, from uh, the New York Times. And uh, Oliver writes, Gert Jan Oskam, pronouncing that correctly, was living in China in 2011 when he was in a motorcycle accident that left him paralyzed from the hips down. Now, with a combination of devices, scientists have given him control over his lower body again. Quote, for 12 years, I've been trying to get back to my feet, Mr. Oscombe said in a press briefing on Tuesday. Now I have learned how to walk normal, natural. Uh, and then in the study you mentioned, uh, Gabby, in a study published on Wednesday in the journal Nature, researchers in Switzerland described implants that provided a, quote, digital bridge between Mr. Oscombe's brain and his spinal cord, bypassing the injured section. Yeah, this is almost like jumper cables, you know. Um, the discovery allowed Mr. Oscombe, 40, to stand, walk, and ascend a steep ramp with only the assistance of a walker. More than a year 
more than a year after the implant was inserted, he has retained these abilities and has actually shown signs of neurological recovery, walking on crutches, even when the implant was switched off. Wow. Gives me chills. So, um, we're about to uh, we're about to go into another dimension, uh, and before we do, Gabby, help people understand what is about to happen. What's what's the digital bridge we're about to build from this story into the <laughs> into the great Props beyond? for that segue. That was a really great yeah. one. <laughs> uh, yeah. So what we do is that every week we pick an if it's one thing that we're going to change about the universe, the way the universe works. And sometimes it's based on science. Sometimes it's a little bit just, you know, random conjecture. Uh, and we follow it out as far as it possibly can go. And so sometimes we break the universe on the way. Sometimes we break society. Uh, but along the way, hopefully some good science falls out. And you can learn something and also be entertained by the way that we've chosen to break your reality for the next hour. Exactly, exactly. And uh, anyone who's been using ChatGPT lately or any other AI knows that the secret to um, getting the, the universe to do what you want is to have a good prompt, as they call it. The prompt being what you type. What is the question you throw into the universe? What is the question you throw to the AI? Um, and so we call that the if. What's the if? And so what is the if? Uh, or you could also think of, I also think of it when, when I'm writing these prompts where they talk about prompt engineering. To me, it's more like incantations, essentially, like in Harry <laughs> Potter. What's the spell? You have to have just the right words and say, if you say the words in the wrong way, something else is going to happen. So, um, uh, what is it? What is our if in terms? What if we had uh, brain implants that uh, could control other th other things? What if we could use our brains to control things? I mean, more than just our bodies, because technically speaking, yeah. our brains do control things. <laughs> It's not just say, like, you know, hanging out there for no reason. Phil. Yeah, see, no, when it's this early in the morning, <laughs> barely controls my mouth. Um, yeah, it's true. Right. What if we could use our brain to control other things? See, this is why the if needs to be right. I uh, yeah, I, I like the idea of like we we talked before the show about taking this sort of further and even more sci-fi than it already is. Right. Uh, so I like the idea of what if you know, we could develop a brain machine interface that lets us control not just our bodies, but also maybe other pieces of technology in yeah. the most sci-fi way possible. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All uh, right. So let's see. I, I have an idea. I have an idea. Here we go. We ask, but oh, by the way, put your goggles on, put your pappers on, P-A-P-R, look it up. Um, any other hazmat, hazmat suit uh, material we should put on? Goggles. Safety goggles. Gloves, yeah. Gloves. Face shield. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and stand by the, the shower or the eye wash. And we ask, we ask, what the if? You could use your brain like a universal remote control. You could control anything with your brain. Be careful. What would you plug your brain into if you could? That's a great. There's a good T-shirt. What would you plug your brain into if you plug it into anything? 
I I feel like that's gonna go so wrong so fast. <laughs> like the this is your brain on drugs campaign, but like this yeah. is your brain on Reddit. <laughs> that's right. Or like that's right. you accidentally download a virus from something. I, I imagine yeah. that going pretty badly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it reminds me of those T-shirts that say "I'm with stupid" and it points at yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I very much like that one. Yeah. So um, yes, what if you could control? Don't. Um, we're going from we're going from uh, uh, we're taking big leaps, big steps, as is appropriate for this story. So um, there are now uh, they now have now successfully allowed uh, someone who has had their uh, nerves spinal cord uh, severed. They can bridge that gap with a digital bridge, as they called it, and allow their brain to control parts of their body that they had lost contact with. Uh, and we're saying, hey, if you can digital bridge to you know the tiny diff- uh, gap that uh, must have been there, um, tiny in space, certainly uh, in terms of his life, a huge gap. Um, but uh, if you could plug it into anything, so what's the what's the, let's let's start very small and somewhat boring. Uh, but I I have a Roomba, for instance. Actually, I don't have. A, <laughs> I used to have a Roomba, an actual Roomba brand, um, you know, uh, robot vacuum. I now have a. Uh, it's called Robo Rock, which is a Chinese version of a Roomba. Basically, the same deal, um, but it allows the Chinese government to see everything my cat and I are doing. So there's that. But only from uh, two inches off the ground. But only from two inches off the ground, and only yeah, once a day. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I usually I, I let it run when I'm out of the apartment again, just so the Chinese government can't spy on me. But um, um, if you could control, not necessarily like a vacuum, but like you know, any a little device, like a little R two D two type device. So first thing that would happen is this would have to be a Wi Fi connection. So we've already made quite a leap here. Yeah. Right? So I mean, I should probably back up to what research has already been done. And I yeah. think we mentioned this before the show, Phil, that. You can essentially put a brain implant in monkeys and train them to use a cursor on right. a computer screen. Right. They so, can play games. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, I think the game was how they sort of monitor the task. They trained the monkeys originally to use a mouse and move yeah. the cursor around on the screen that way to play the game. So they first, they didn't have to learn how to play the game with their brains. They, they learned, well, technically it used your brain, but they <laughs> learned by hand first, mapped where the connections were that were. I think firing the most when they were using their hands, yeah. then used a brain implant to try to mimic the same thing. And I think connected that to the computer. Right. Um, and then found the monkeys were able to do it just as fast by hand as they were um, using their brain to manipulate the computer screen. Right. So already people have made these brain device interfaces, but I don't, I don't know how far we've gotten using them in, people. I can imagine that they're very useful if somebody's quadriplegic and can't actually move their hands to do a task. Uh, but I think most of our devices they, right now based are eye-based, are based on eye movement. Yeah, there is actually, I know actually because I have a friend who's uh, uh, been making uh, for a number of years a documentary about a woman who had lost her arms and, um, and um, amputated and uh, she, she or other people in her condition, they have been able to um, allow her to control uh, prosthetic arms, prosthetic hands with her brain, which is a similar kind of amazing thing. 
Um, now all these are wired though, right? That's the, that is a big deal. E- even that monkey, I think was, I'm sure was wired into the computer. It was nobody yet is using like the remote power. This would be an enormous leap, right? Wireless. It almost would have to be. So we, we actually, let's start slowly. Let's imagine this technology for sure begins with, you have to have a wired connection to the thing, right? So if you had to do that, what would be, what use would there be? What kinds of things would you want to be wired into? I mean, I suppose playing a game with your mind would be kind of fun. But you're just using the computer, I suppose. could be interesting. Yeah, you would probably need, it's going to sound really gross, but you'd probably need some kind of port installed oh, yeah. in your head. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Because you need a sort of physical connection first. Right. Um, and if you went with the Apple, the, w- w- Apple... Uh, brain implant, whatever they would call it, eye brain, um, <laughs> it would be a connector that only Apple sells, you know, you'd be screwed. Yeah, and then it breaks and you have to get brain yeah. surgery for an and entirely new one. it costs $60. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think more than $60 if it's a brain implant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think actually that does kind of point out something that's kind of neat, right? That you would need probably a different type of implant for what it is that you want to do. So if it's just digitally controlling things, there's probably a different neural circuit that you're exploiting to do that versus uh, the inspiration for this, which was controlling your own movement, which required, I think, uh, a sort of different set of brain areas that they were studying and then actual connections onto the spinal cord. So depending on what you want out of your technomancy, you have to put a slightly different chip in your head. Or you just put a constellation of them in there if we want right, to go the, full cyberpunk with it. Right, but that's an important part of the story too, an important part of this. The, the known science at the moment is they had to first understand what areas of the brain were involved, right? Mm-hmm. And then did, they, I can't remember, did, did they actually have to put sensors, uh, probes in each of those different parts of the brain? Um, I think they were able to do some overall recording from there, but I don't know whether or not it was direct, like they had an electrode in there. Um, That specifically, I don't know if they were able to do it via some other like imaging. Like what's the other one? Is it fMRI? Right, Um, right, right. They they could have been able to image that non-invasively in order to figure that out. But unfortunately, that's where my... Right, so okay. looking, I'm looking back at the article here, and it says um, the scientist um, Greg, Gregoire Cortin, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, said, uh, quote, we've captured the thoughts of Gert John and translated these thoughts into a stimulation of the spinal cord to reestablish voluntary movement, said uh, Gregoire, a spinal cord specialist at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Lausanne, who helped lead the research. Um, but capturing thoughts is a little bit nebulous. Like, it's a good way to describe it. But if you yeah. want to know specifically what they were actually doing to, air quotes, capture thoughts, they were in some way recording electrical activity in the brain and whether or not they were doing that directly through, like, an electrode, uh, which I don't know how often is used on people. I know they use them in mice, but yeah. big difference there. Uh, versus something more indirect that was like a sort of brain scanning technique. I That specifically, I don't know, because I don't know as much about neuroscience in people as I've learned about neuroscience in mice and birds from friends who do neuroscience in mice and birds. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. 
Oh, here, so here's what it says. it says. So it says, to achieve this result, the researchers first implanted electrodes in his skull and spine. Okay, so two places. And the team then used a machine learning program to observe which parts of the brain lit up as he tried to move different parts of his body. And then they used a thought decoder, an artificial intelligence thought decoder, uh, that was able to match the activity of certain electrodes with particular intentions. One configuration lit up whenever Mr. Oscombe tried to move his ankles and another when he tried to move his hips. Then the researchers used another algorithm to connect the brain implant to the spinal implant, which was set to send electrical signals to different parts of his body, sparking movement. The algorithm was able to account for slight variations in the direction and speed of each muscle contraction and relaxation. And because the signals between the brain and spine were sent every 300 milliseconds, Mr. Oscombe could quickly adjust his strategy based on what was working and what wasn't. Within the first treatment session, he could twist his hip muscles. So this is, so what it is is basically almost like two computers in a way. There's like an encoder mm -hmm. and a decoder. And um, that's amazing. It's not just like a single, like I was just sort of imagining, frankly, in a kind of a crude thing of just like a zap, you know, electrical signals just sent down the spine, like tick, 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 tick. Oh, yeah, uh, no, this is like a really, really complicated piece of engineering that they did. Because, like I said, walking is hard. It's essentially controlled falling that you do yeah. constantly. So it's easy to get wrong. And it's it's a thing that if, you know, it requires a lot of fine-tuning. And we don't think about it because, you know, you learn to walk when you were a kid. And you never had to think about it after that, really. But yeah. learning to walk again, if you get in an accident and have to learn again, that's, it's difficult. So yeah. being able to use this to bridge a gap was not a, uh, was not a minor feat of engineering. It was a really impressive thing that they did. Yeah. I actually happen to have had some, um, I know a bit about it, about this because I made a documentary called Rewalk and uh, Rewalk, um, is the name also of a company. It's one of the first companies to make, um, what we call exoskeletons, robotic exoskeletons. And so I filmed, I followed some uh, veterans, U.S. veterans at the Veteran Hospital here in the Bronx um, in mm -hmm. New York and followed them, uh, they're paralyzed and um, in, in wheelchairs and basically, and uh, they learned to walk using these exoskeletons, which is basically um, not, it's a sophisticated thing and it's very highly, very high tech, but not quite the same as what's going on here where the thing is inside him. So basically they're braces that are attached to your legs and the braces can walk, you know, the braces have motors at the knee. And so, um, they allows them to stand up, it lifts them up and, uh, kind of using a little bit of technology similar to like a Segway has a little, it can, t you know, uses the electronics inside a consent, they have accelerometers basically inside the rewalk device that senses whether you're, which way you're leaning, for instance, and then it begins to activate the legs and they walk. And when you want to stop, you know, you back and it stops. Kind of an incredible thing. But yeah, I also saw the, how complicated walking was by watching people learn to do it again from, from scratch. Well, it's like and it's incredible. interesting, the two different approaches, right? Yeah. So essentially the rewalk is kind of a, for lack of a better word, puppeteering mechanism, right. that you're yeah. learning to use something that doesn't intrinsically change your ability to move your body, per se. Yeah. It just moves it for you according to a more finer and more delicate 
control mechanism, essentially just you leaning forward or backwards. Yeah. This one was directly trying to use all of the organic systems that already exist, but by using the technology to actually send the signals themselves. So in the other one, in the rewalk, the person is sending the signal and the robot is doing the movement. In this one, the computer is sending the signal and the person is doing yeah. the movement, yeah. which is a really interesting way to use two things, computer, robot, and person, yeah. to approach the same problem from different methods. Yeah. Now, one thing I learned from the, <clears throat> the veterans who were doing learning to walk with the rewalk was a strange thing that we, you don't really think about because when you see them, you just watch them walk, it looks like, oh, they're walking again. That's amazing. And it's clearly scary in the sense that they, they do hold, um, they hold like crutches, kind of just like a single pole and a wrist, you know, around, around their wrist. And they kind of use that just to balance themselves or for safety. Um, and they look scared at first, obviously, but then once they get used to it, they love it. Uh, but they, they all said it's a really weird feeling because the thing we don't, non-paralyzed people don't realize is they, the paralyzed people, have no sensation of their body at all. It's below the point where the spine is broken. So like from the waist down or even from the chest down, um, it's as if their body doesn't exist. So they said when they're walking, it actually feels like they are on a balloon. Their, he you know, their mm. head is just sort of hovering in space and there's, they can see something below them, but they don't feel it at all. So imagine not being able to feel your feet. And, and they say, you know, we don't realize how much we actually use our sense of touch um, and... Uh, you, you use your feet to, you the way you feel the ground is a part of how you balance yourself and hold yourself up, and they don't have that at all. They're holding themselves up with their hands on these crutches, basically. Crazy. Um, so I wondered if this uh, man could feel a feeling. I, I'm guessing he didn't, actually. That he could move his body. I have body, no idea. But he can't feel. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because yeah, uh, they don't talk about signals coming back up like they didn't. Right, that's right. But I think that they have been working on stuff for, what is it, prioperception is technically the term, in mm. prosthetics, like being able to get a touch sensation back yeah, from things. Yeah. So, I mean, definitely this is like a huge leap forward, but it'll be neat once inevitably that's the kind of thing that gets integrated into these systems. Yeah. Well, we do know that with haptic feedback, um, they could totally do that. Uh, you know, your computers, I know the Mac do it. I'm guessing the other computers do it now too, where... A lot of times the trackpad, it feels like you press down on the trackpad and it's clicking like they used to because they used to be mechanical trackpads. They are no longer. But it feels exactly like you're pressing down and clicking it and that's totally tricking your brain. There's just a little, almost like a little, um, something vibrates the uh, thing to give you that haptic feedback. So um, uh, I saw a demonstration once at a science fair of this kind of thing where you wore a glove and um, the glove was connected to like a metal stylus that somebody else could use to, uh, oh no, I know what it was. You, sorry, you held, the, it wasn't a glove, you hold the metal stylus and then on a computer screen there were pictures of different textures. But they're just pictures on a computer screen. And you took the stylus in your hand and you ran it across these different textures. Like here's a rock and here's a fabric. And you felt like you're, you were running this, Hmm. pen in your hand across these different things felt totally real but it wasn't so haptic feedback is a big thing so i can imagine let's just say if we go back to our wi-fi connection if you connect your brain to your computer and you're controlling it you could also feel physically things like 
you know, as the mouse goes around to different parts of the screen, you, you, would, you could feel it as if you were traveling across these surfaces. Trippy. Yeah. I just solidly agree there. Yeah. <laughs> I think one of the, the points that you stopped at was that you stopped us before we got to like Wi-Fi connection and like interconnection yeah. of devices. Um, but already in the device that was used in, in the nature paper, uh, they sort of, it wasn't just the brain implants. There was actually like a battery pack on uh-huh, his back uh-huh, uh-huh. that was, I, I think, actually helping to maintain this and I think was housing some of the equipment that was linking yes. up to everything. Yes. So yes. we might wind up with, I mean, granted, technology is getting smaller and smaller, but I doubt we're going to be able to stick a battery pack in there in our brains and maybe we kind of don't want that. Right, uh, right, right. You kind of right. want to change the batteries every once in a while maybe. Yeah. So there's probably going to be some external accessories to mimic or to facilitate the internal ones. Um, so maybe we do carry around our own like wireless relays. So we are our own Wi-Fi routers or something so that our brains can interface with other things. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can imagine that being a watch perhaps. I mean, at some point, if we got miniaturized. Oh, the watch is so much more elegant than like the little battery pack thing I was thinking of. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think it would, it would definitely start with the battery pack, and there would be all kinds of fashion accessories for your, you know, brain transmission battery pack. Um, I can imagine people customizing that for sure. Um, the, the Rewalk device had that too, by the way. You're reminding me that they had, uh, they wore a backpack, and in the backpack was the battery and a, all the computer um, that essentially handle the, the movement of the robot legs. Um, so what would you connect to? You can now connect to anything. Hmm. But we begin with nearby objects. I don't know. I'm, I'm definitely a Luddite, which is weird to say as a scientist. You'd think I'd be like first to embrace <laughs> technology, but I'm usually incredibly skeptical because I watch people do stupid stuff with it first. Um, but honestly... I am still a geek first and foremost, so video yeah. games might yep. be kind of interesting. Yeah, it. I'm curious ab- about how that process would shape my thoughts, because one, playing a video game is usually a two-handed enterprise. So one hand is either moving a cursor and then doing stuff on the keyboard if you're using a PC or if you're using some other console system like. Um, Xbox, PlayStation, Nintendo Switch, currently Nintendo Switch, Tears of the Kingdom. Um, (laughs) You know, you have two hands on a controller and are using it that way. Um, So I don't know if I'd have the ability to like press three buttons at once with my head. Or would I just, or would it wind up changing the way that games are created so that rather than it being a three button thing, you just think that that's what you want to do. And I'd imagine it's interesting because some of the skill in games is is very is precision, that you can press those three buttons in exactly that order within like the very short amount of time yeah. it takes. I've watched people play Smash and go on about like iframes where you get like a X number of like single frames where you can't take damage, huh. and it is ridiculous. But how does that play in when you have when you're interpreting that just with like your brain? I can imagine that people could calibrate themselves really, really, really well to playing just specific games. And I don't know if you, have you ever experienced the Tetris effect, Phil? Oh yeah. You mean where you start seeing the blocks everywhere or? 
Yeah, like you you play a game, you close your eyes, and you're still playing the game. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's common yeah. in like really highly repetitive games like Tetris, which is when it was coined. Yeah. I personally, as a kid, had it with like the Nyan Cat like jump game. I played it a lot in middle <laughs> school. This is a bare admission from the bottom of my soul. So now all of you <laughs> listeners know something about me that not a lot of people do. And it like would literally play behind my eyelids as I slept. Yeah. But now if I'm imagining a world where my brain is directly connected to whatever game it is I'm playing, right, right. I'm wondering like as I'm going to sleep, is more of my head occupied with like physically, not physically, but like psychically trying to press buttons yeah. as I'm trying to fall asleep? Well, this, present, this presents a huge challenge that comes with this technology. And in fact, I wonder, I'd love to know more about what was happening in this case of the man who uh, got his was able to move his legs to walk um, because you have to, um, as, as, it's too bad we don't have Matt here. Maybe ne next week he can just give us some tips on this because Matt, Matt does martial arts. And I know that um, uh, focusing your mind is an important part of it. You know, So it's sort of like mm -hmm. you would have to really, what would happen is, let's say you, st you stayed up all night playing games and then you went to, or you played games all morning, and then you went to work, and where you use a brain, uh, you connect your brain to other things. Like, let's say, Gabby, you then go to the lab, and you're working on stuff in the lab, where you also connect your brain to some, I don't know, devices, a centrifuge, pipettes, whatever. Mm -hmm. but, but your mind is still playing the video game. <laughs> Lots of fun is going to happen in the lab. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, that's the thing, right? It's like, it depends how it winds up being interpreted, right? Because right now yeah. I think we're still stuck in the paradigm of like how our hands would do the thing. And if that was yeah. just the way it worked, where it was directly tied to how our hands would play a game, yeah. well, the way my hands play a video game is different than the way my hands operate a pipette or you know press buttons on a centrifuge. Yeah. So maybe I would be fine. But if you completely remove any interpretation of the physical element and then all of these games start being designed exclusively for like cerebral control, then yeah, there's probably going to be a lot of overlapping wires and I might accidentally, I don't know, poke a wrong thing on a centrifuge or be trying to get it to work by using, I don't know, Legend of Zelda attack yeah. mechanics. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. All of the, the, the things that will go wrong in the early days of this technology would be absolutely hilarious. Um, the, um, it did. I'll give them. I'll give them credit in the New York Times article. At least I just realized in the headline they didn't include artificial intelligence. <laughs> they avoided that. Maybe they thought we've got too many stories as it is. But that was a big part of the that would be. That's the kind of thing that would be able to a fine tune um, your dexterity in using your mind on these devices. In other words, your your the AI would know you're in the lab now, you're not playing the game. So we would say that I should interpret this that way. You know? Okay, well, I do want to kind of add maybe a little bit of an asterisk because one, I hate whenever somebody says the AI would know. It doesn't right. know. It's not actually intelligent. It's a way of interpreting pattern recognition. So right. the thing is, is what the AI is doing is decoding the patterns that are seen in the brain waves. So essentially, if I'm still putting out the same signals, then yes, it would create the same response. But if my brain does, rec like, I recognize some difference between playing a video game and doing something else, and those are using subtly different parts of my brain, it would stop an overlap between them. 
Right. Actually, when, when I mean when I say a no, I would I mean it, it would literally just it would you know it would sense um, geographically where you are. Oh, you're in the lab. You're in, and and that in your hands is not the switch. So oh, we're giving it GPS capabilities now. That's terrifying. No, it wouldn't need GPS. It would just, <laughs> well, it would just recognize the. I mean, it, automatically, this is trivial, right? It would know it would, your your phone knows that it's in a different room because the Wi-Fi is a different name. I'm on campus. The Wi-Fi is the same all everywhere. Oh, then you're doomed. <laughs> I'm doomed. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's kind of an interesting thought because I, I was thinking about like connections too, right. not just to other devices but let's be honest if there's a connection to another device people exploit it all the time so i feel like once you've got brain wi-fi you have to be worried about brain hackers yes (laughs) literally there was like one open connection left by accident in like a hidden account on our a computer that was hooked up to like a multi-million dollar microscope our lab had just built and like dutch bitcoin miners hacked into it Really? So, yeah, yeah, they did. And it was it was really frustrating because the company that set up the computer like for this microscope, like explicitly for this microscope, accidentally left like one of their like back end like setup accounts still on it right. that had the username user and the <laughs> password password one. Oh, my God. And so, of course, that got hacked into. Um, but... Yeah, now it's your brain. Yeah. Oh my God. The potentially brain. Your risk. brain and Bitcoin miners, which essentially, for those who don't know, just what it was essentially there. It's a computer that has to run a math program. That's basically what it is. It's a computer that needs to and calculate it things. And prints so, out money of speculative worth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. But, or you can imagine for any different purpose. It may not even be Bitcoin. Just imagine. You know, there's people that want to um, um, hack into computers. So yeah, now you'd be literally hacking into people's brains, and uh, more hilarity would ensue. <laughs> um, I, hilarity, I'm imagining. <laughs> not well. You could you can prank your friends, but also I imagine the the potential for like actual like cha- like chaos, mayhem, etc. Yeah. is pretty high. Yeah, like now make, they don't need to scam you out of your money. They can just hack into your brain and then use the part of your brain that's hooked up to your Bank of America app and yeah, just right. directly steal $1,000 from your head. Right. Or, oh, oh, or of course, you know, espionage. Like they could steal, you know, your thoughts, your memories. Um, a, they could get all any... Uh, any passwords you remembered, which is probably f- very few, <laughs> but uh, you know, obviously, um, people who had inter- people who had important things in their head, unlike mine, people who had valuable things in their head, it could be stolen. Um, the formula for new Coke, you know, could be stolen. <laughs> um, I was imagining an absurd situation where somebody could hack into. You can imagine you're in the park, and somebody hacks into the brain of like five different people in the park and make. Makes them dance, you know, like puppets. Makes them dance together. Involuntary. Uh, involuntary. Was it flash mob? <laughs> yeah, involuntary flash mob. <laughs> I had to really dig for the term flash mob. That was good. That was such like a early. <laughs> was that early twenty tens? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, flash mobs was a good thing. There was also there was a group when I was doing uh, improv. There was an amazing group called Improv Everywhere. Mm-hmm. That people would get together and do uh, like. Uh, 
They pretend to be, or one time they did a thing in a shopping mall food court and um, looked like, it looked like all of a sudden all the people who worked at like the Cinnabon and the person who was mopping the floor and the person who worked at the Pizza Hut and, you know, all these different things, uh, the person who was taking out the trash, they all started singing like some big musical number together because <laughs> <laughs> they were improvisers in disguise. That's fun. Yeah. Um, I... So where my thought goes next on this yeah. whole thing is not yeah. just the bad actors. It's also the fact that we live in like a capitalist hellhole. And <laughs> if you have available brain space, somebody is going to try to make money off of it. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I feel like I'm thinking now of, did, did you ever watch Altered Carbon at no, all? I don't know that. It, it was a, a sci-fi show. I think it was based off of something else, but I don't remember. Mm. Um, that was on Netflix they made like two seasons. Um, mm. But anyway, there's like a scene in the very first one where the guy has like, there's like an ocular implant that I think is like partially computer wise where it lets you like interface with certain things. Right. Um, I like call people through it. But the guy gets like spam as he's walking through like a part of the city that's like bombarding him with uh, advertisements and yeah. he needs like an ad blocker. Like, would you need that for your head? Yes. If yeah. people, if you know, if you have connections out, people are going to start making connections in. Yeah. And absolutely, a company is going to love to just bombard you with ads for the new Pepsi that they've stolen the recipe from. Oh yeah. Um, are you are you going to need ad blocker in your head? And if that ever becomes a case, I am digging my cerebral implants out with my <laughs> fingers. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> well, even even worse, you know, as we described, these things would be very expensive, and so. Um, uh, at least initially, of course. And so a lot of people would unfortunately have to get, as they do with like email and stuff, they would use the free service that comes with ads built in. So they would just mm -hmm. say every single message that gets sent to them ends with an ad, you know, for some pharmaceutical, some drug, something like that. Yeah, it's like, oh, or sorry, soap. I got to, don't talk to me for like the next like 10 seconds. I've got to yeah, get right, this like right. Folgers that's coffee jingle <laughs> before I can hear you. That's right. Or yeah, somebody, yeah, somebody comes up to you and you say, hang on, I got the pre-roll. I got to listen to yeah. my pre-roll ad. <laughs> God. <laughs> um, so as usual, just we barely got started and uh, um, we're running out of time. I think um, this would be a fun one to con continue something in the past, in the in the uh, pre-Gabby age, we used to do many multi-part ifs. I think this, we haven't done one in a long time. I think this one would be worth continuing with Matt. Yeah, um, I, I feel like we just got to like brain implants doing fun things. We haven't dialed this up to 11 to brain implants helping you pilot giant mech suits. Exactly. Which is really where I was hoping we would get to. Exactly. So, well, there we go. So, so as we, we do like to, at the end, run ahead very far and very fast. So where, where does the world wind up? with these uh, brain implants. I'm hoping giant mech suits. Come on, I want my like Pacific Rim, like controlling a gigantic robot with your brain sort of jam. Uh, I think that would be a lot of fun. Right. I also think too, like it would give you the potential to explore things that maybe you yourself don't have access to, which would be really cool. Like all of the tiny little like drone submarines like, oh yeah! Wouldn't it be cool to just have one of those connected to your yeah. head, so you could just like sit at the beach, drop one off up here, and then you know hang out on a bench and like see through the little drone sub's eyes that, that goes through the water or something like that? That'd be really cool. Amazing. Okay, right. So you're, now in Pacific Rim, if I remember correctly, the movie, which I think is also based on a comic book, 
Um, yeah, but in Pacific Rim, the people are in the robots, and um, so there, was there a, is some like physical piloting of it, but they right. have to be connected to each other together, which is another interesting oh, thing I thought that this could do. That again, yeah. if connections yeah. go both ways, can you connect yourself to another person? Which is always yeah. an interesting thought to me because I, I don't know. One of the things that continually fascinates me is just like other people's intrinsic perception of the world in a way that you will not understand. Yeah. Like people who don't think in dialogue, who think in like abstract concepts. My partner, who is tremendously ADHD, and I know the way that his thoughts like bounce. I've seen it happen in conversation where he, uh -huh. the next topic he chooses is something that seems totally strange but if you follow the dots it makes sense <laughs> how we got there <laughs> truly like that would be a fascinating consciousness to experience anybody yeah. anybody's consciousness would be a truly a fascinating thing to experience firsthand yeah which would be interesting if you could hook yourself up via machine but yeah. also if it wouldn't just completely fry you in your sense of self who knows yeah somebody wow. would try it right so, and, and ultimately it becomes like what what is it like and this is also almost a lot of times these ifs spawn other ifs. It's sort of like, what would it be like? Uh, what if you were a member of the Borg, for instance? What if you were a, a single brain inside a hive mind? What would that be like um, to experience, you know? Um, which they do try in that. And then and there, there's some movies that do that. They try to get a sense of what would it be like to uh, have other thoughts in your brain. Fascinating, fascinating, good stuff. Well, I can say this that Dan Floyd, our newest patron, and uh, all of you other uh, wonderful patrons uh, and super ifers, as we call you, uh, will be getting some of the extended discussion. Gabby and I will continue with this exciting um, way of uh, it. Sometimes the if becomes more fun to play from the uh, Dr. Evil side than it does from the. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what would you do if you could control all these brains? Um, so you'll get to hear that as a, as a patron, Patreon member. Um, Patreon.com slash what the if. Find out more about that. By the way, you can also you get fun things. You get stickers. Uh, and depending on what level you join at, um, stickers and uh, t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, etc. For some reason, I just got an idea. I wish we had like a remember those. You you wouldn't remember but these vinyl records or mm -hmm. vinyl record, but like records that were like a they were in a magazine. It was like a page of. It was like a flexible oh. record, like a like it was like a plastic page. Anyway, yeah, they used to have those. You'd get those in the mail, and then you could put it on the record player. Um, that is really cool, though. Totally weird, right? Retro tech. We should get one of those. Uh, we'll work on it. Help us get. <laughs> that's going to be a new stretch goal. Help us get uh, plastic records. So, uh, Gabby, you have something to plug this week. Speaking of science fiction, yeah, I yeah. do. And speaking of mecca etc uh so i've mentioned it a couple times that some of my work is coming out in neon hemlock press's luminescent machinations anthology and we officially have a release date uh july 25th All right. so it is still available for pre-order both uh the physical copy and an ebook um and you can order it though if you want to wait anytime after july 25th and should get it you know, pretty much immediately minus, you know, shipping time. Mm -hmm. But I'm very excited. They they posted a photo of like the actual like print copies of the book. It looks oh, wow. great. It's nice. It's like really like it's it's a 
unsurprisingly, because it's a professional publication, it's a real book. But like, there was yeah. a bit of me that was like, maybe it's not going to look like a real book. It's a it's a real <laughs> book that has that's my right. name on the back. Wow, that's so cool. So, um, is there a link that's understandable by audio, or should I I just post it and uh, send it to me? By the way, so I can post. Yeah, it I'll send the notes, you the but... links for both the like physical and ebook. Um, right. But for those who aren't looking links. at the link, what is it? What is the uh, say it again? The name of the uh, Site yeah. they should go to. So the publisher is Neon Hemlock Press, and the specific anthology is Luminescent Machinations, Queer Tales of Monumental Invention. All right. Check it out. That's very exciting. Well, we're gonna have a we'll have to have a launch party, a launch episode. About will you be having a launch party? Is it an, are they a New York based group? Uh so the I think Neon Hemlock is actually DC based, mm -hmm. but they didn't solicit writers from specific locations. It was just, you know, from wherever. So I think right. some people may be international. I don't really know if they're going to do anything, cool. but would be cool. I yeah. mean, I, if, if they're like, we're doing something, I'd be like, bet. And I'd buy a bus ticket. <laughs> yeah, right on, right on. No, we should do something like that. Maybe you can get someone, one of the um, editors or somebody can come and uh, we can do a show about them. Um, cool. So look out for that, and uh, let's see other things. I'm I am. If you're listening, I hope I get this episode up today. I usually try to. If I don't, uh, I apologize. But uh, I am on May 27th, which is tomorrow, as we record this. I am speaking about AI. I'm being asked to do a lot of talks about AI in the documentary community because um, hmm. I guess I'm one of the. <laughs> I'm not, definitely not one of the few, but anyway, I'm one of the. One of the few who's dared to stand up and speak about their, confess their insane nerdiness about this technology uh, and who also makes documentaries. So I'm talking to documentary communities uh, in a bunch of different places. So tomorrow I'll be speaking online. It is available to the public, um, to the San Francisco Women's, uh, San Francisco Women Filmmakers, uh, Women Filmmakers of the San Francisco and Bay Area. <laughs> <laughs> long name but uh i'll be speaking to them and it is available to the public um i'll post the link in the, in the thing but if you want to look up women filmmakers of san francisco and bay area ai talk is available to the general public um i will be speaking um again to um in washington dc there's what they call the dc docs film festival it used to be called the afi film festival um big document big documentary festival in washington dc coming up in a few weeks I'll be speaking there in person. That'll be fun. And I will be there with a special kind of celebrity tech guest. So that will be kind of Ooh. fun that later. And um, and then later on, I'll be speaking to the um, Doc NYC, a documentary group in New York City, the Documentary Film Festival, about AI. So a lot of, a lot of people want to know. Then there is a lot to know and a lot to, a lot to fear and loathe about it, mm -hmm. for sure, as well. So um, speaking of which, I do want to give a shout out. I don't know if anyone listening is a member of the Writers Guild, but I send my uh, deepest uh, thoughts and prayers and support for all oh, the yeah. writers who are on strike. Um, AI is one of their concerns, but also bigger things like they should just be paid. Come on, people. <laughs> yeah. They used to get I, residuals, and, and that's a huge deal. Maybe I'm like too much of like a Gen Z foaming at the mouth kind of person now but I'm like it's shocking to me that like paying your workers is yeah. really a thing that is controversial now yeah. no it's evil it's evil so um I hope they I hope that it works out for them and I hope the strike doesn't have to go on too long but it may go on for a while 
So thank you all for listening. Um, keep your brains focused and in check. Make sure, you know, if you're remotely connecting to devices with your brain, you know, just uh, stay focused. Don't let your mind wander. Who knows what could happen. <laughs> um, so, uh, Gabby, would you lead us in our closing ceremonies? Yes. As we find our brains hooked up to the internet, to every single device around us, and we are bombarded by other people's minds, <laughs> we cannot help but shout the name of the show in awe and terror together in unison. What, what the if? Matt Stanley will be back with us next week. We'll have a full house in the studio. We'll raise the herald above the castle to indicate everyone is present at the table, the round table. And we'll see you all next week. Thank you for listening. Thank you, new patrons. Thank you, Dan. 